Growing Up, our brand new resource for churches and parents is out now. Woohoo! With Sunday school sessions, training videos, podcast episodes for parents and one for the whole family. All there to help our children navigate the confusion, filter the messages they're surrounded by and hear God's good story. All our Growing Up resources point to the Heavenly Father who loves our children even more than we do and has the answer to their biggest questions about who they are and how to live. Together, as families and churches, we can support each other to start good conversations about bodies, gender and marriage so our children can grow up hearing God's good story. Head over to the website faithinkids.org and find out all the details about growing up. friend I mentioned with a child with Down syndrome she's her son is now 26 but when she was first advised when he was diagnosed they said your other children she had four kids your other kids will be fine you need to focus all of your energy on him and she very very wisely rejected that advice because it would have created all sorts of bitterness and jealousy and I think inevitably we're coming to a place with our youngest where we're having to accept that there are ways in which our parenting to him will fall short. There'll be other benefits that he has to growing up in a family with children with special needs. I'm hoping he'll have a broader awareness, understanding, empathy, Um, but there will be ways in which he'll probably have to forgive us as time goes on, and he'll have to come to terms and go through his own process of grief. Hello. This is the Faith in Parents podcast. I'm Ed. I'm the director of Faith in Kids. We on this podcast are trying to help Christian families to do the normal business of raising their children to know Christ. And we're trying to particularly tackle the everyday situations, the normal experiences, so that we it's not just about what we do on a Sunday for an hour, but it's what we do in the whole of life. I'm joined by Amy as usual. Amy, how are you? How's your day started? Oh, I'm all right, Ed. We've had an emotional morning. I have four children. They happen fairly regularly, but we're here and we're uh, we're with friends. So it's all good. Well done. You're perfectly primed then to record an episode on the reality of parenting. <laughs> we're also thrilled to be joined by Rachel Wilson. I'm going to resist the urge to introduce you for you, but I'm, I'm really excited to have you with us. Rachel, just tell us a little about where you are, uh, your situation, and even give us a clue as to the topic we're discussing today. Hi Ed, it's great to be here. Yeah, my name's Rachel. I'm podcasting today from Eastbourne, um, where I live with my husband Andrew and our three children. We've got kids who are 13, I'm going to have to get the ages right now, 13, 11 and 5. And our two older children both have special needs. And many years ago now, we wrote a book called The Life You Never Expected. And I'm here to chat about that with you today. At our very great request. We've been We've wanted you for a while. <laughs> it's lovely to have you, Rachel. The, the the main reason we really wanted to speak to you is that although you say your book, your book, I think I checked this morning, is 2015, 
we read it with a group of children's workers. We talked it through. And I have found since then that it's it's the book I recommend to all parents rather than just those with special needs. Because although I think it is incredibly helpful for parents with special needs, that's what we're talking about today. There is a story you start with about sitting down to a dinner with friends. Can you just tell us that story? Yeah, so this is actually an illustration that a really good friend of ours gave us, which I just found so helpful. We decided to share in the in the book. But it's the illustration of a dinner party where you sit down with friends and one by one, your friends get served their desserts first. And they each unwrap a chocolate orange, a delicious chocolate orange, and you get past something in exactly the same wrapping as they have. But as you unwrap what you have in front of you, you realise it's not a chocolate orange, it's an actual orange. And really what I found most helpful about this illustration was that there's nothing wrong with an actual orange. Oranges are full of vitamin C and uh, they're good for you. It's probably going to do you much more good than your neighbour sitting next to you eating a chocolate orange even. But it's just not what you were expecting because it's not what your friends had been handed and you've got to work out how to peel it and how to not get juice in your eye. And it's just altogether a slightly different experience than you were expecting. And my friend told us this story um, really to illustrate what it was like having a child with special needs. She had a son with Down syndrome. And when we had our children born with autism and epilepsy and various other things, it just really spoke to me and it's something we wanted to share in the book because we realised that not everybody's living or having the status quo parenting experience. And my suspicion, Rachel, I mean, certainly my experience is to be a parent is to really know your children incredibly well and to have a suspicion that your children are odd in some way. Uh, At least they're certainly not the children you expected to have and I, I'm sure that's just an issue of you forget what you were like. And maybe even in church, we're nowhere near as honest with each other as we could be. But the tears of life, and some of those tears don't stop, and the, and the reasons for them continue, just mean that as a parent, there is that desire to fix your children as if you're their Messiah. And the fact you can't, that that illustration I just found really helpful in you just keep thinking, you know, what more could I do? Why Why has it gone this way? Yeah, and that, to be honest, has been the surprise of the book and of that illustration, because I think we were very um, young and very low, just a short way into our parenting journey. And we didn't realise that it's not just about people who have kids with special needs, that those feelings of loneliness are really common parenting experiences Um, And actually, we've gone on to have a neurotypical child since we wrote the book. And we've realised that it's not simple for anyone. And actually, we all have those isolating moments where we think that it's we've got it wrong or we're struggling to work out how to peel that orange. So that that was a surprise Mm. after we wrote Mm. it. And I think that illustration, the, the idea of being if you'd have been handed the orange in a room, just as here is your orange without everybody else surrounding with something different it would have been a whole different scenario you would have just been delighted with your orange absolutely that that element of comparison you know and we all do that we all do that so often that parenting is suddenly somehow a competition of who's nailed it the best and who's smashing it that's just 
the reality of then just saying, this is what God has put in my lap for my good. Just wow. We can expect him to be up to something, which is just such a liberating, a liberating thought. Rachel, could you tell us a little about your children and your experience and maybe the experiences that led to you writing the book? Yeah, so really we wrote the book because we couldn't find one like it. We wanted something that wasn't written years later in retrospect when everything had worked out okay. (laughs) Really, Our desire was we really needed something that was real and raw and current and written by people who didn't understand what God was doing rather than people looking back 20 years later going oh that was what it's all neat and tidy now (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so yeah that was our desire in doing it so we did we wrote it when our middle daughter who was then our youngest child was probably three or four so she was at nursery and it was written in kind of two hour chunks because they would only accept her for two hours at a time at nursery and it was a period of our lives when everything had been thrown up in the air because our first child had kind of hit about two two and a half having always been developmentally somewhat behind but then his development went into reverse and he began to lose his speech his motor skills um day by day things receded in terms of skills Mm. Uh, which was really traumatic. But at, at that point, we had no idea really that our younger daughter, who was just 18 months behind him, was going to hit the same wall when she reached two and a half, but have a much more serious regression. So over the course of those two years, we had children diagnosed with regressive autism, as well as epilepsy, because our daughter had started to have seizures as well. And because they were so close in age, life just got really thrown up in the air and we didn't know anybody who had two children with special needs. We knew some people who had one child with special needs, but we were facing this really tidal wave of form filling and bureaucracy and school applications and felt ill-equipped to face it. Um, So we wrote the book in the hopes of helping other people going through the same experience and we resisted we tried to resist the urge for it to be therapeutic but actually it was a therapeutic experience as well because we were very much in the middle of processing our our grief really around what had happened I think to me like I'll be brave enough to say it's the best parenting book I think I've ever read and like thank you to you and Andrew for being brave enough to be that raw in that time because I think that's why it is so helpful it is the struggle of trying to work out how does faith make a difference here? What is it to say? How do we move on? Like, how does this help? And that's why it is such a real book that often parenting books that are, that are also brilliant give us a framework of how to think things through. And it is just that, that rawness that comes across. And to think <laughs> that that's hard, <laughs> that's hard paid for. You, you absorbed a big cost there. And thank you for being prepared to think about other parents in the middle of that because it's right you're right so isolating that then to have somebody to try and step alongside you is just it's just great oh thank you Amy I so appreciate the encouragement because it is there's a there's a cost of vulnerability in it yeah Uh, but I've been so encouraged by feedback from other people and I felt personally comforted and that I am not alone Mm. as well even in that feedback 
and that encouragement as well. So thank you. Rachel, in, in the book, you carefully explain some of the differences it makes having a child with special needs. So the examples of, for instance, when something goes wrong, you, ca- you can't just shout no across the room. You, you, can't, just, you can't just run. <laughs> uh, you, you end up second guessing everything and you end up working around certain behaviours, which, which seems to add hours to your day. So I think those are the parts, it's just helpful for me with neurotypical children to read, to understand what that looks like. Could you also say something of what you have tried to process as a Christian of what it means to have a child with special needs? So that experience of having the orange, I mean, that sounds like a starting point. Where do you go next? Yeah, I think as time has gone on, I've realised that everyone has a script change in their life. And for us, it was special needs. But actually, the Bible is full of stories of people that have had a script change or encountered mm-hmm. unexpected suffering. And that the word of God is full of people, some of whom who've experienced that suffering because of something they've done. And many of whom have experienced that suffering because of living in a world that is full of brokenness. And I think our version of that has been has been special needs as time's gone on I wouldn't even say that was mainly about the experience of autism but more about the experience of grief for us with regression it was incredibly painful to watch two children reverse and regress and rather than move forwards into what God had for them seem to lose what they'd been given and we all have those experiences of loss in in some way, really. So initially, I think my only way, in terms of faith, my only way of surviving that experience was to almost throw my anchor way into the future because I had a certainty and a solid enough faith to know that God would be eternally good to us, Mm. that he was eternally faithful, eternally kind, eternally merciful. But I was struggling to see that in the present So in the stuff I was reading, in the stuff, in the worship songs I was singing, all of my focus had to be on eternal hope and throwing that anchor forwards. And gradually, over time, God, by his grace, has revealed himself as a a help in times of trouble, a very present help in times of trouble. Mm. But that came later, really. It felt like a step of faith into the dark to believe him to be eternally good. And gradually, it's almost like that eternal faithfulness and grace and goodness has been rewinded into my present. And I can say he's a faithful help Mm. right now, right here in the middle of the meltdown, in the middle of the DLA form. He He is my present help. That's happened gradually and it's happened for both of us in our marriage as well. Mm. But I remember reading a quote years ago. It says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me on the rock of ages. It's a Spurgeon quote. And the first time I read it, we were in the middle of this all. And I was quite angry reading it because I said to God, I will never kiss this wave. I will never, ever kiss this wave, never kiss the wave of regression. It's not a wave that's worthy of being kissed. And I think every morning I wake up And I wouldn't say that I'm even there yet these years on, but I get closer to kissing that wave Mm. Mm. because in the midst of special needs, he has revealed something of his tenderness and his kindness 
his mercy to me, to them, but also to the people in their lives that he has put them around. Mm. They've become fountains. They draw out the mercy and the compassion of the people and the communities that he's put them in, of of our church family even. Mm. Um, so I'm getting closer to kissing that wave that throws me on the rock of ages. And what you, you know, that is just about pulling that, the direction is towards God, which is just, you know, that future hope that's bringing it into the present that's directing your heart towards God in tough circumstances is incredible. And that's what faith looks like. One of the real lovely things about this podcast is that we have got questions from listeners who who contacted us with things that particularly they wanted help with. And one of these things that I think you're walking right now is advice for families who are caring for a neurotypical child and sees that their sibling with additional needs is treated differently. So you can't be consistent across the board. How can you navigate that? How can you love them both well in that situation? So we are right at the beginning of this learning curve. And I would probably be going to your listener for advice because it sounds like they might be a step ahead. (laughs) So our youngest child is neurotypical. He's five and he's quite socially perceptive as well. So he's asking lots of insightful questions. Mm. We're finding we need to invest a lot of time in him as well. It was interesting, the friend I mentioned with a child with Down syndrome, She's her son is now 26, but when she was first advised, when he was diagnosed, they said, your other children, she had four kids, your other kids will be fine. You need to focus all of your energy on him. And she very, very wisely rejected that advice mm. because it would have created all sorts of bitterness mm. and jealousy. And I think inevitably we're coming to a place with our youngest where we're having to accept that there are ways in which our parenting to him will fall short. There'll be other benefits that he has to growing up in a family with children with special needs. I'm hoping he'll have a broader awareness, Mm. understanding, empathy. Mm. Um, But there will be ways in which he'll probably have to forgive us as time goes on. And he'll have to come to terms and go through his own process of grief. And that I've got to trust that God will be gracious to him in his process of grief, just as I he's been gracious to me in my process of grief. Inevitably, with when you're raising children with different needs, there are very different standards. My friend um, is telling one of her sons to eat his vegetables and that he can't have his pudding until he's had his peas while she opens a sachet of sugar for her other son and allows him to dip his finger in it. And so... There are moments like that in our parenting life all the time. Probably our biggest challenge in navigating this is actually between our two children with special needs because we have one child who's very verbal, has come on hugely in terms of developmentally, but is a very black and white thinker. And another special needs child, our daughter, is really quite severely disabled and needs a huge amount of help. And we're having to tell Zeke... (laughs) our oldest, that with ability comes responsibility, which is why he is being held to a different standard than his sister, Anna. For him, that's really hard to understand because he's very black and white. And as far as he's concerned, they've both got autism. She just needs to pull herself together. (laughs) It's not a hugely merciful approach. Um, It's actually easier with our neurotypical son to explain to him about different needs because he's got that flexibility of thought. Um, and he's able to empathise and understand in a slightly broader way. But I think 
we are, like I say, we're right at the beginning of this learning curve. And I think we're probably getting just as many things mm. wrong as we're getting right. And we've got, um, we've got loads to learn. But yeah, you're prepared to say, I'm going to have to apologise to my son in the future, like, or even now. Yeah, I think as well, just with my own kids, that's a different scenario that there are those moments that, you know, when my I see my sons who's struggling siblings walking alongside him through tough times, and that your panic about them being okay, and that they shouldn't have to bear the consequences for someone else's struggle that you want to protect them and keep them safe. And talking to my own children about that a little and just seeing you know god is at work and that we can trust him and that's not the glib thing to say it's a really hard thing to do but i can trust god to be changing your heart in a way that i wouldn't choose to but that he has good purposes in is is a hard lesson for a mom who just wants to wrap, wrap your kids up in cotton wool and, and keep keep them safe and happy absolutely I think he he has decided for us to live as a family has been a helpful phrase for us as well. It is God's good plan that he has put these siblings together with their very different needs. But it's his good plan because he has something to teach us. He has ways in which for us to grow and to grow in love and kindness and all the things that matter to him. He's decided for us to be a family together. Mm. And that's a good plan. There is a thing I notice which is i speak on parenting more than some i'm very aware that when i stand up to speak perhaps more than most issues people think i'm going to say something that will transform what they do and i think that could be how some parents come to this podcast which is rachel's written a book rachel is therefore an expert she's walked this road for a decade isn't it good that rachel will tell us all how to do it <laughs> and we already in this podcast probably could save people the time by saying it will continue to be messy. It yes. will continue to be time-consuming. It will continue to hurt. Trust the Lord. <laughs> Trust the Lord in it. And he's doing a work in the parent's heart. Yeah. That's what you're talking about with grief. Is That's your heart, not your children's heart. And we're now talking about each of your children, the, typical, the neurotypical and those on the autistic spectrum. The Lord is doing a work in their hearts. And presumably for some children, you can see it slower, can you? There is a lack of spiritual progress, presumably in some than in others. I feel that as a parent. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's dealing with a child that's facing you and accepting that, yeah, your parenting will be messy and inconsistent, which is not what you had hoped it would be. And I think each of us is on that journey of realisation that we are going to, we are not, it's not going to be clean and it's not going to be consistent. Yeah, and I I expect God to be up to something in the lives of my children to change them and to to move them on and and then oh hang on a minute God's up to something in in my heart and absolutely probably there first which is you know no I want I want this sorted and it's like oh no no it's oh it's me yeah. oh okay it's yeah. me we have a, a question Rachel that is um have you found a way of opening the Bible together in a way which works for everyone. And I suspect there's a broader question, which is, have you found a way of going to church, which works for everyone? And have you found a way of praying, which works for everyone? Do one at a time. Do Bible reading. <laughs> yeah. So the first one, short answer, no. <laughs> um, we haven't found a way that works for us all together. So I could kind of describe our family life as like herding cats. So everybody's off in their own direction, <laughs> off in their own direction. Having said that, even with having a third child, we have found now that we can group the two boys together often because because of the special needs 
actually it's almost as if the age gaps were slightly less in our case and so we're able to use things like Jesus Storybook Bible actually now is working for both of them similarly the Action Bible has been good as well but we are it does feel a lot like whack-a-mole in terms of spiritual life because we haven't found a solution that works for everybody in terms of church life actually that's probably the case as well we're in a slightly unique position where Andrew's on staff at a church in London and I attend a church in Eastbourne with the kids on any given week so actually we certainly haven't cracked that having said that the people that have come around us have enabled us to go somewhat as a family and to encounter God somewhat as a family because um, Anna needs one-to-one support the whole time really we have a wonderful friend who has committed to doing it every week which is amazing so we we tried a rotor system and actually that inconsistency was too hard it has to be me or her one-to-one so we kind of juggle it between the two of us every Sunday to make it work she doesn't fit within a standard special needs group even she really um she can open any door so she roams the building and she has someone with her but something this is a bit of an aside really for Anna I think how much of her spiritual life how aware is she and it was fascinating she was in the sensory room at school one time and they were talking about weddings and every time they said church she said Jesus wow and I just thought to me that was amazing Mm. because I thought there isn't a somewhere within her I didn't even know she knew that word so somewhere within her is an association that church means Jesus we I've had similar experiences and you've got to with a with special needs kids I find probably with lots of other kids as well you've got to cling to your successes in spiritual Mm. life Church means open doors and Jesus. I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we I had one instance in A&E with her where she'd broken her arm again. And um, every time we go to hospital, we have a certain DVD that we have to play because certain DVDs have to, or books have to travel to certain locations. And uh, she was listening to a worship DVD. Mm-hmm. And I was absolutely had hit rock bottom at this point. This was the final store in the summer holidays. And she looked at me and again, she said, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. She doesn't have very many words. So I feel like God has given me those nuggets, those breakthrough moments to cling on to when it feels like she's just circling the hall or storming the stage on a Sunday morning. Rachel, what a good God we have Mm. that blesses you in those ways. Rachel, the story you've just told of church, I mean, I'm sure everyone thinking what a friend you have who sees the need, who understands the commitment that's required, who is going to sacrifice in their own life and work out ways church will fit in differently for their their lives. Do you have a word from your experience about how you have found church and presumably getting three herded cats out (laughs) the door for church when you know that what you get when you arrive will be more messy than what you're leaving behind in your kitchen? Mm. The, the 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 I mean I'm I'm you don't have to tell us the number of Sundays you just thought I can't do this I've given up but how do you I mean first of all how do you get out the door what is it you're saying to yourself and then when you arrive what's your approach been so I think church for me has always been about receiving grace I think in the past I would have expected to receive grace by being in a worship time 
sitting through a preach, hearing contributions at Lifmeyer's, and certainly that is a means of grace to me. I think since having the children, I've realised that church can also be receiving grace in terms of the love and community and the acceptance of a family. And when they, just last Sunday, if Anna, when Anna stands up in the middle of the notices and starts making very loud noises and flapping or whatever it is she's going to do that week, I've gone from a place from when that first happened, when she was two, where, and I cringe to think about this, but I used to cover her and I'd cover her mouth. Just, that was my instant reaction, cover her mouth. And I think God's taken me on a journey from that point when she was very little to now a point of enormous pride in her because I feel the enormous pride of the entire community around her. And I know that as soon as people hear those noises, they're thinking, ah, yes, Anna's here today. And I actually felt a real loss for the church during lockdown. We had a long time out. And I did. She, we, she didn't return for a long time because of social distancing. There's no way I can enforce that um, with her. And I needed people to feel more relaxed with the, with the new system. But my biggest grief in that actually wasn't for Anna about missing out on church, but was more about the church for missing out on Anna because I feel like she is really integral and I, they've made me feel that she is too. So I go to church and I think because I expect and I know I have a hope and an expectation that I will receive grace. And I think as church leaders, that's the challenge is to create communities where people are receiving the grace, not just from not just of God, not even if they can, even if they can't be in the breach, even if they can't be in the worship. Do they have an opportunity to receive grace from the community around them and to feel like their children are accepted and welcomed? And that that challenge of children being a blessing to the church family and that they have something wonderful to teach that you've just described there that she is able to do you know that's a mindset shift that is huge I also think what you've described about that means of grace from from receiving grace from others is the experience of most parents with preschool children going to creche dialed up some so that you know the struggle of getting out the doors to go to different rooms to play with toys that aren't the toys that you've got at home where I'm going to have to you know wrangle you with other people and sit through it was something beforehand to get out to that you know there'll be those moments what have I done this for we could have just stayed at home and watched Peppa Pig that would have been easier that that being with others receiving that welcome other parents we're all in the same boat how are we pointing one another to Jesus what you've just described is so much of the normal experience of parenting with the volume whacked up a bit louder yeah, and I think staying in that season for longer makes you have to deal with the self-consciousness yeah. because you can't stay at that hyper-vigilant or hypersensitive level for too long. And actually, there are all sorts of ways in which my children have discipled me in becoming less self-conscious, <laughs> if I can put it in spiritual terms. <laughs> and let's just stay in spiritual terms for a minute. And um, just walk through a little of what it is for the rest of the church to go through the experience you're talking about, Rachel, is that what we learn consistently is that to care for another means our heart is the first to be impacted. So for the church, when Anna shouts out to move from my experience of church is being disrupted, my model that I need is being upset to I am here for the good of another Mm their needs matter more than mine. Mm. 
their experience of church is harder than mine. And for me to be a blessing to them in even my reaction then is a, a growth in my love and my compassion and my patience and my kindness in that the whole church benefits through caring for one. And it's the question we get asked the most, which is, sorry, not the most, but it asked a lot for children's leaders, Ed, talk us through how we care for children with special needs in our church when we can't find the leaders. Your story is the encouragement to us that the search for leaders is the search to find people who are willing to grow in godliness and a closeness to Christ rather than who is the least upset by being asked, who, who, is, who is the least frustrated by their presence in our church. And to be clear, what we're talking about actually is the story of church rather than the story of how do we find a rotor for a special needs child. Yeah. And it just in a broader point, we want, if we want to build diverse churches that are able to reach the poor or this is all relevant do you know what I mean this this is relevant if we want churches with people from every ethnic group every class everything this is serving the church in terms of um teaching us this flexibility and this love of other before our for, before ourselves really it's the story of your book worked out in the family of church instead of the nuclear family at home it is this is what we didn't expect how is God up to something good here and what what is he doing in all of us you know, that whole thing of I can expect God to be at work yeah. for good purposes. And I think Jenny, the lady who does Anna's one-to-one, who's absolutely wonderful. I talk about her in every podcast I ever do. <laughs> but she, we didn't go to her and tap on the shoulder and ask her to run a special needs ministry. We asked her to love Anna. And I think sometimes we can feel in a, there's a danger of overcomplicating mm. Mm. in feeling like we have to set up something with a brand, a logo, a room, a setup, or even a sensory room or rather than to respond to and love the child that's facing us, which is actually much more doable. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, I think drawing out those people, and I think I think if you had Jenny on here, she would say there are times when Anna's kept her in church and times that and Anna's probably be a bigger blessing to her than she mm. is to Anna. So I think that's what she'd say. And we so appreciate her responsiveness to an individual rather than an issue. Mm. Rachel, the, the journey we're talking about I love that at the beginning you said you wanted to write the book in it. There's a chance with this podcast that those with children with special needs are listening to you and your church and thinking, what a church. Ours is nothing like that. Mine is only struggle and embarrassment. <laughs> Could you give us a little of some of the steps in the journey that has your church always been this wonderful that you make it sound now in that you said at the beginning, your reaction now feels awkward. Presumably there was a time when your church's reaction now feels awkward. Were there particular conversations you had? Did you rely on others to have the conversations for you? Could you just give us a little of your experience? Yeah. So we cheated a bit in that we were in leadership when the children were born. And I think inevitably, if you have a church leader who has that experience, it does permeate more quickly, perhaps church culture, than it does if you have a new member arrive or someone on the periphery who isn't known to the church. I think because we we were in leadership, we were able to shape quite quickly. Having said that, I don't think we did that in terms of practical steps. It wasn't like we were the ones pushing for a sensory room or, or you know, or disabled, better disabled changing facilities or anything like that. I think it's more that people saw our journey because it was raw and because Andrew was preaching and I was preaching and we were 
living it and we had our heart on our sleeve to some extent. So I think the church kind of got on board with that. We did have like forerunners. We had children at church who already had special needs. But I would imagine, like a lot of the churches, people who are listening, particularly rising autism or autism being recognised increasingly, I think it's almost impossible to ignore now because there are just children being born into families who will be diagnosed with special needs. It's just, it it is inevitable. Um, So the church has been on a journey, I think, in terms of just witnessing our testimony, um, our pain, praying with us through it, us being honest. And that's been the main way in which it's been shaped. And I think God has done something where he's just raised up people where with a particular heart for special needs who have started specific groups. The book's helped, I think, as well. So it does. It feels like we've cheated a little bit in this regard because it kind of yeah, touched our lives when we were in leadership. Rachel, I feel like I could talk to you all day, but you <laughs> <laughs> probably shouldn't. I'm just trying to be conscious of our listeners. For those who want more, what kind of resources... Could you recommend? Would you recommend? And I think I've got another question from a listener, if you can multitask with two questions. Are you aware of any organisations who've done some thinking around special needs kids, church and parenting? There's lots of bad advice. Where can you point us for good advice? Yeah, I think this is probably where I feel less qualified to answer. I know I've heard good things from New Wine in terms of their provision. Obviously, as of when Bible Weeks we start and stuff, but I think there's some, probably some lessons to learn mm-hmm. there. I found um, Sandra Peoples quite helpful in the US as well. She's written a book called Unexpected Blessings. Mm. That book, actually, there was just some nuggets in there that were really helpful as well. But I think probably you'd have other listeners who'd be more qualified to um, point to particular organisations or resources. I think if you can tell us the things that have helped you and equally because you've been so helpful with your book. So you're allowed to say your own book. (laughs) (laughs) We'll put it in the show notes, won't we, Ed? We would absolutely, of course, we will. And uh, we put it. We honestly regularly talk about it. And uh, this podcast is the reason why we regularly talk about it. Because what we definitely have found now, as in reading the book, is this story is as always with parenting about the parent's heart before it's about the child's heart or the child's experience. We've been talking today about how it's the church's heart that's impacted more than it is the family. And I, I guess for a church, there is a struggle that, Rachel, you your family has persevered with church. It could be that there's there are families coming to our churches for the first time because their children have special needs. It might be their first experience of church and they're really hoping it will be a place to go where they will be understood and loved. So we need to know if we struggle to show them the love and the care they need, they they won't be there on Sunday number two. In that, may, you may have cheated it by being in church leadership, but you also persevered. You also thought this is worth fighting for, and maybe for those who are listening who don't have children with special needs, for us to be the ones who go to the door to welcome that family, because we all know what it is to have a new family come to our church. And I hope we're all thinking this family needs a lot more love today because they are going to decide within three minutes if they want to come back next week. Yeah. Yeah. And I think finding out, not presuming to know what they might need and just asking, how can we make today easier for you? How can we make today better for you? Rather than presuming that we even understand autism. Like I've got two autistic children who you would need to interact with totally differently 
So I think even above special needs awareness is about a welcome that says, I recognise you as an individual. I recognise you as a family. How can I best help you this morning? There is no one page laminated sheet. No. That will that you could hand to someone in church and say, this is how we approach special needs. But it's funny because we wouldn't think of that about anything else. We wouldn't say this is how to approach women, men. Yeah, we wouldn't say it for any other category. We'd say you have to get to know them and you have to love them and you have to have a relationship that's like, wow, it's the same. <laughs> it's the same principle, only a bit more obvious when you get it wrong. <laughs> Rachel, are you willing to pray for some of those threads we've been talking about? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your intimate, careful knowledge of our children. Thank you that we, even when we struggle to understand or even to communicate, that you have no problem understanding or communicating. Thank you. You know them inside out. And Lord, I pray for every person listening um, who's maybe thinking about even approaching church or returning to church or is just battling grief in their own parenting journey, that Lord, they would know the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that they would know power and encouragement on their parenting journey, that they would know the wisdom of God in the child that's in their family and the family that they that has been put together with the wisdom of God. Lord, we acknowledge you, we worship you, we pray that you would be glorified in each and every family, in each and every church. And Lord, we ask for every individual be valued and would become part of an expression of worship to you. A God who just delights in diversity and delights in a varied and beautiful experience, a beautiful expression of Jesus' love. Lord, I just pray a blessing upon each and every family. Amen. 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 Rachel, thank you so much. In case any listener hasn't worked it out yet, please go to the show notes, click the link for The Life You Never Expected by Rachel and Andrew Wilson. It's a fantastic read. It's mercifully short. It's full of Christ. Rachel, thank you so much for being with us. It's a real treat. We've looked forward to it for a long time. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I've so enjoyed being with you all today. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.